If you're, if you're sitting there with your coffee and uh, you are comfortable, grab your Bible and open up to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Find Hebrews and take a right. If you go to Revelation, you've gone too far. So James chapter 3, I think you know where it is. That's where we're going to be this morning. One of the things that I know you've heard me talk about before, uh, if you've been here at Woodhaven, is that one of the problems that we have in our culture, our broader culture today, is that we have a tidal wave of information coming at us. And that in and of itself is difficult to handle, but our problem is, is that we don't take that information and we don't take the time to cultivate wisdom or the use of that information. It sort of washes over us and comes upon us, and then we don't take the time to process through it, and we don't take the time to use it. Instead, we just get all of these facts in our, our ears and in our heads, and we, we don't process through that information. And when you think about wisdom, at the root level, wisdom is, of course, being able to live with skill and with ability. That's kind of the central concept in wisdom. But what that really means is that you are able to use the information that you have in the right way to make wisely or wise and timely decisions, right? And so it's skill in living, and that skill comes from the ability to process and to utilize the information, the data at your disposal to make the right decisions and to live in a, a skillful way. And so there's a, there's a bit of a difference between knowledge and between the application of that knowledge, the use of it, wisdom. And the more I've thought about this relationship between information and wisdom, and the more I've thought about the way that plays itself out in our culture, I've come to a bit of a realization about knowledge and wisdom. I actually think that most people are searching for wisdom, right? We get all of this information, we get all of these news articles and data points and, and knowledge that comes into our heads. But I think most of us intuitively know that we're supposed to be able to organize that information and to make wise choices. And so we're looking for someone to help us do that. We're trying to use the information that we have and we're starved for wisdom. And so our impulse is to search for someone to help us do that. And today, there, there are no shortage of people who are willing to try to help us to use the information that we have. They're giving us a version of wisdom. Now, you can turn the television on almost every night, and you can watch people, pundits, who are essentially trying to work out their version of wisdom in their shows. I mean, what they're doing basically is taking large amounts of information and they're trying to put the pieces together and they're trying to make sense of the world with that information. You can open up YouTube if you're maybe a bit younger and you're into YouTube and you can find people who are doing the same thing. They have shows, they have broadcasts where they're seeking to take knowledge and they're trying to apply it to life and make sense of the world. One of the big areas that people do this is in making sense of life's difficulties. Everybody knows there are problems with the world. And so we try to make sense of those problems. We try to diagnose the problems. And that is a form of wisdom. It's trying to put the pieces together and live skillfully. And that's what's happening. 
So when we, when we hear all of these different voices trying to bring us wisdom, we have to ask ourselves the question, where does their wisdom come from? What they're claiming as knowledge or as wisdom, they're trying to put the pieces together, where does that come from? And we also have to ask ourselves, what are the fruits of that wisdom, right? What is it, how does it work itself out? What sort of character qualities do these people have and those who follow them have as they try to live life? Now, of course, you know that Scripture is where true wisdom is found. And the book of James has been almost entirely focused on this concept of wisdom. And James has made the argument that true wisdom will demonstrate itself in our thinking, in our speaking, and in our actions. And true wisdom, as we think properly, as we speak correctly, and as we act consistently, will grow us and move us towards spiritual wholeness. That's the whole argument of the book of James. And every day of your life, every moment of your life, in one sense, is a wisdom test, right? I mean, that's the title of the message this morning. It's a wisdom test. I mean, which wisdom are you going to put on display in your life? Which wisdom are you putting on display in your daily life? What character qualities will drive your actions and your speaking? We've reached, I think, the very center of the book of James in James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. And I think this paragraph is sort of the the mountaintop of the book, and this is the summary argument of the entire book. The whole message of the book, you could sort of distill down to this paragraph. This is what James is arguing. And basically what he's arguing in this book is what sort of wisdom are you showcasing by your actions? What are you putting on display by the way you're speaking and thinking and living? Is your wisdom driven by worldly things? Is it earthly wisdom or is it heavenly wisdom? Is it wisdom from above? And so in this section, James 3, verses 13 to 18, I want us to see three lessons to prepare for the wisdom test. Of course, the wisdom test is, I think, something that you're encountering every day, even if you don't realize it. Every moment of your life, you're putting some form of wisdom on display. And so James is going to show us three lessons to prepare us for the wisdom test. The first one of these lessons is in verse 13. This lesson is that your lifestyle displays your wisdom. Say it again. Your lifestyle displays your wisdom. Now, up until this point, if you've been following along with us, James has organized his book around these different sections that begin with some sort of address to my brothers, my beloved brothers. And that address is paired with a command that he gives them. And you've seen this throughout the book, and you'll continue to see a form of this. But we get to this section of the book, and it doesn't begin with that sort of address. And so James is kind of grammatically setting this off from the rest of the book. And he's showing us this is the highlight. This is the centerpiece. This is my main argument, my thesis statement for the book. This is the whole book in miniature, a summary. This is the Cliff's Notes version of it. And look at the question that he asks in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? So how would you answer that question? 
I mean, if you're looking around at all of your contacts, at all your acquaintances and your friends and family, folks you know at church, how do you determine who is wise and understanding among you? I mean, we all, I think at root, want to be this individual. That's why we're starved for wisdom and we go out searching for it. We want to make sense of the world. And so we try to do that in any way that we can. Everybody wants to be able to speak into the issues of life with skill and with clarity. I mean, nobody really at root wants to be the fool in Proverbs who sort of stumbles through life and messes everything up all the time. Nobody wants to be that guy. Everybody, in some sense, wants to be wise. And so James is asking, who is wise and understanding among you? And wisdom is something to be, to be prized, to be pursued. The whole book of Proverbs makes this argument to us that wisdom is to be valued even above earthly riches. I mean, think about that for a second. Wisdom is more important and more valuable than all of your financial resources and all the financial resources that you could ever gather together. Skillful living, wisdom is more important. Listen to Proverbs 3 and what the author says about wisdom. Proverbs 3, verses 13 to 18. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So in one sense, we could say there's nothing more important in your life than pursuing wisdom, being able to put the pieces together in the right way. And James asks this question, how do you determine who is wise? Who's demonstrating true biblical wisdom? And he answers that question in the second part of verse 13. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And you can see what sort of wisdom is driving a person's life by his conduct. I mean, this is how you demonstrate it. This is how you know. If you notice carefully what James says here, it's very instructive. He says, by your good conduct. He's not talking about just your moment-by-moment decisions. He's not talking about something wise that you may do tomorrow morning, first thing when you wake up. He's not talking about individual moments. Your conduct is your way of life. It's your habits. It's the general pattern of living that you exhibit. I mean, it's your lifestyle, right? It's everything that makes up the day-by-day movement of your life. All of your decisions, your loves, your passions. All of it goes into your conduct. And the point here is that your conduct or your lifestyle manifests. It puts on display or demonstrates what sort of wisdom is driving you and is motivating you. Now, obviously, here in verse 13, James wants us to put biblical wisdom 
on display. That's what he's talking about in verse 13. By his good conduct or by his good lifestyle, his pattern of living, let him demonstrate his works in the meekness of wisdom. James wants our way of life to put God's wisdom on display, and God's wisdom is always demonstrated by two things, by good works and by humility or by meekness. True wisdom produces, it shows itself in humility and in good works. But as I told you earlier, many, many people are driven by a different type of wisdom. That sort of wisdom that most people are driven by tries to make sense of the world and it tries to put the pieces together apart from God or without God factoring in. And so because that wisdom tries to pursue skillful living without God, it exhibits a different set of qualities. And you can take note of those qualities and see what's happening in that person's life. And that's the second lesson here, and this is in verses 14 to 16. Earthly wisdom is driven by self-regard. So this is the second lesson. The first one is that your lifestyle displays your wisdom. Second lesson is that earthly wisdom is driven by self-regard. So we understand here, it's important that we understand the first concept because it leads right into the second concept. Our habits, our pattern of living, our lifestyle demonstrates the organizing principle of our lives. It demonstrates our worldview, what's going on inside of us. And that demonstrates what form of wisdom we are banking on and we're learning from. Far too often we let the pundits on TV or the YouTube gurus make sense of the world for us. And we hear something, a way of approaching life that sounds good and it it sort of makes sense and it puts some of the pieces together. And so we think that person is wise. I'm going to go back to that well and draw water from it over and over again. And we ignore God's wisdom. We don't let his wisdom determine how we see the world, and so we end up with a different grasp of things, a different way of making sense of the world. One of the ways the Bible instructs us in wise living is it gives us two different paths. I mean, you know this if you've read the scriptures. In, in Psalm 1, you get two types of people. You get the man who meditates on the word of God. He pursues the word of God, the righteous man, and then you get the wicked man who listens to the scorner, the ungodly. And there are two ways to live, and Psalms begins that way. Proverbs talks about this quite often. There's the fool and the wise man. Jesus even approaches the application of his sermon this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He ends the sermon with three illustrations. There are two paths There's the narrow path and the wide path. There are two trees, two types of trees, the good fruit and the bad fruit. And there are two houses, the house built on sand, the house built on the rock. There are two ways to live. And the point here, and the point James is making, is that you are cultivating your life based on one path or the other, one type of wisdom or the other. Notice in verse 14, the driving motivations in earthly wisdom. But 
If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And so in verse 14, you have these two qualities. These are manifesting, showing that this person is driven by earthly wisdom. These two qualities, jealousy and selfish ambition, are, they're basically two sides of the same coin. So what are they? Jealousy or envy doesn't want the other person to succeed. Envy has very negative feelings toward a person when that person gets something that I don't receive or something that I want. Someone else succeeds in life, gets a promotion, gets an advancement, and I am envious. I don't want that for them. The other side of that coin is selfish ambition. Envy is focused on the other person in a negative way. Selfish ambition is focused on me. I want to be the one that gets promoted and gets advancement to the detriment of others. I actively and intentionally live life focused on myself. I set a course for life that is all about me. My ambition is driven by self. So jealousy is focused on not wanting good for others. Selfish ambition is focused on promoting self. And James calls someone who demonstrates these qualities someone who is driven by earthly wisdom, verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Earthly wisdom is called earthly in the sense that it is wisdom that removes God from the occasion. It's unspiritual in the sense that it ignores the work of God's spirit. And it seeks to make sense of the world based on reasoning only and from maybe my feelings drive how I move through the world and not God's spirit working in me. It's demonic in that it ultimately comes from Satan. It's driven by his agenda, his prideful way of seeing things and being in the world. Now, what's really interesting and I think instructive for us is that James calls this a form of wisdom. He says, this is not the wisdom that comes from above. It's a different form of wisdom. It's an earthly wisdom. But it is a way of trying to make sense of the world. There is a sort of internal logic to this. And this is why people get so caught up in it. I mean, this sort of person that is driven by earthly wisdom is self-focused. They always think in terms of what he or she wants. And most of the time, they don't even realize it because this is just how they assume you should live life. There's a consistency to this and, a, and an internal logic to it. I mean, they, they think things like, well, I got to take care of me. You know, there's no I in team, but there is an M and an E. And so... I got to make it all about me. And you can imagine this sort of person living in this way, acting out of earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom, causing all sorts of problems, particularly in the church. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. I mean, someone who tries to make sense of the world with self at the center as the motivating, driving factor in life, 
That sort of person causes fragmentation. He or she causes disruption in relationships. And that sort of person fosters all sorts of evil and vile practices. It's not a helpful way to live, particularly when you find a person like this in the church. So let me just apply this to our church in our current moment, right? I can't tell you how thankful I've been to be at WBC during this pandemic time because nearly everyone, the vast majority of people have handled this with grace and with care and not being focused on self. I mean, it's been wonderful to see the response of people dealing particularly with church leadership. Um, I know it's frustrating. I, I know it's annoying. I know all the little details of life have been disrupted, but the vast majority of people relating to church leadership and how we've been trying to guide through this have been so kind and so encouraging and so gracious. So many people have been others-focused and have been honestly trying to care for for those around them. And it's been wonderful to see and encouraging to see. And some of the, the disruption and battling and all that has been going on among other believers within churches, I just we just haven't experienced that. And so let me just encourage you, going forward, going into the fall, let's keep that up. I mean, let's keep pursuing heavenly wisdom, which we'll see unfolded in just a minute. I mean, you can imagine how going into the fall, in the midst of all of these frustrations and difficulties, if people start to exhibit earthly, unspiritual, and demonic wisdom, and they start to be all about envy and selfish ambition, and they start to think, I want what I want, and I want it to be done the way I want it to be done, verse 16 will be the result, right? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. The unity of the church will not make it through self-centered people. And it will lead to all sorts of disorder and all manner of sins in our midst. And so that's why it's been so great to pastor during this time here at, at Woodhaven Bible Church. And so instead of, James would say, instead of giving our thinking over to earthly wisdom, instead of letting the internal logic of earthly, unspiritual, and demonic wisdom guide us and dominate our thinking, James wants us to pursue true wisdom. And this true wisdom comes down from God himself to us. And this is the third lesson in verses 17 and 18. Wisdom from above pursues peace and wholeness. Wisdom from above pursues peace and wholeness. And you, you'll be able to see very clearly the contrast between earthly wisdom and between heavenly wisdom. And these are the lessons that you and I need to learn so that we can be ready as our lives are confronted with test after test. And we have to know what sort of wisdom we're living out of and how we're making sense of the world. And it needs to be, biblically speaking, through this lens of verses 17 and 18. The whole point of the book of James has been to embody heavenly wisdom, wisdom that comes from God to us, and not wisdom that is driven by self 
and by my own desires and my own passions. Now, I understand that even this concept of wisdom at times can seem abstract. Right? It's, it's sort of hard to get our, our arms around. Wisdom is not just a checklist of rules that you get up in the morning and if you do these five things, then you're a wise person. Wisdom is situational. It's sort of like, like playing soccer and figuring out what you're going to do moment by moment in the game. How's the best way to play? Where do I pass the ball here? Do I take this shot or not? That's wisdom. You have to apply the skills that you have learned to a given situation in order to play skillfully. That's wisdom. And that means to have heavenly wisdom that you and I have to be the right kind of people. It's not so much about the decisions we make ultimately that makes us a wise person. It's about the character qualities that we exhibit that then lead us to make the wise situational decisions. And that's why James focuses here on character qualities in verses 17 and 18. So he's going to give us a list of character qualities that showcase divine wisdom, wisdom from above. And I would say these, these two, or this list here, does two things simultaneously. And this is important for us as we approach any list in Scripture, any positive list, and this one in particular. So think of this list a little bit like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, all of that. This would be a very similar list focused on wisdom. And this list does two things. First, it shows us how to evaluate our own lives to see if we have wisdom from above popping up in our lives or driving our lives. And at the same time, it shows us what to pursue, the qualities that we go after. So it's both an evaluation tool and it's a a goal to shoot for. And it's both of those at the same time. So if you look at this list and you think, okay, I read through this list, I see one of the qualities is peaceable. Wisdom from above is peaceable. And you think, well, I'm not exactly a peaceable person. I tend to get in verbal altercations with others. So then what do you do with this? Do you just go, ah, I don't have heavenly wisdom. So, too bad. Well, you realize that, you evaluate your life based on that, but then that gives you something to shoot for, something to pursue in your life. And so you understand that peaceable is a goal that I have set for myself. And so I begin to study the scriptures in how to become a peaceable person in order to grow and demonstrate heavenly wisdom. So what does heavenly wisdom look like? In what areas do we need to grow in order to showcase heavenly wisdom? I'm going to describe these to you, and I will go through them very, very quickly. The first one in verse 17 is to be pure. But the wisdom from above is first pure. To be pure is to be free from sin. To be free from sin and uncleanness. This is what is required of someone who approaches God. It's kind of like holiness in some ways. Purity is a quality or a a description of our our thinking. Philippians 4 and verse 8, we are to focus our minds on things that are pure. They're free from uncleanness. And so heavenly wisdom is driven by purity. And the goal is to put on purity so that we can 
showcase that in our daily lives and exhibit that quality. Show that we're wise with wisdom from above. The second one is peaceable. We talked about this a little bit. But sometimes when we think about peace, biblically, we think about peace with God. And that is true. There is that aspect of peace. But this isn't talking necessarily about the peace that we have with God because of our salvation. God designed human beings to live in shalom. You know that word. We're meant to live in harmony with others, with God, with the world around us even. That's how he created Adam and Eve. There was a consistency and a harmony to the way they were supposed to live. And so to be peaceable, to operate out of wisdom from above means to be peaceable. And that means that you pursue and you have a high regard for that sort of harmony. You want it. You want to live at peace with those around you and with God. The next quality is to be gentle. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, and then gentle. To be gentle is to be considerate of others. You're gracious and slow to anger and gentle because you're considerate of other people. In other words, you have, you have a high regard for the concerns and the desires of those around you. To be gentle means that you can see things from another person's perspective. You may not ultimately agree with that perspective, and that's okay. You're not required to agree with it and accept everything that's put out there by anyone. But a gentle person is at least able to listen, to hear that other person's perspective, to maybe even understand why they came to that perspective. Be gentle is to give the other person the consideration and the dignity that they deserve as a human being to understand what they're saying and not just to react in aggressive anger. The next quality, I think, will be the most surprising to many people. Wisdom from above is open to reason. This is probably one of the least common in our current culture. To be open to reason. Now, this doesn't mean to be gullible. But it does mean that you are able to be persuaded. I mean, that's actually what this word means. You're able to be persuaded. And you're able to be persuaded because you listen carefully. Again, it doesn't mean gullible. You think hard and you're concerned with the truth. And you're concerned with the other person. And so you're compliant. You're willing to yield where you are able to yield. Now, James is obviously not saying that you you give up clear biblical teaching and you're wishy-washy in what you believe. That's not what he's saying at all. But he is saying that you are willing to yield and you give up your own personal preferences in non-essential things. You're not the guy who's dogmatic about every single detail of everything in life and confident that you know the right answer all the time in every area. You're open to reason. You know you are a finite human being, and so you're willing to listen. You're willing to hear someone else. And you're, you may even acknowledge that someone else may know a little bit more than you every once in a while. The next quality is to be full of mercy and good fruits. Mercy is a quality that is 
considerate and kind to others who are in a particular need. We've seen mercy described in James chapter 2 when we talk about the poor man coming into our assembly and the rich man also coming in. Do we show partiality or are we merciful to the one in need? Do we meet their need with graciousness and kindness? There's a biblical call in James 2 and verse 13 to show mercy. The next word is to be impartial. And I actually think a better translation of this is unwavering or faithful. Wisdom from above is consistent and it stays committed to the Lord. And wisdom from above, the person who exhibits this is trustworthy in every situation in life. You can count on them. You can trust what they say. Finally, in our list, the wisdom from above is sincere. Wisdom from above doesn't seek anyone's favor in particular. It's not trying to manipulate the situation. Wisdom from above doesn't act one way in front of this group of people and a different way in front of this group of people in order to get what you want out of each of them. It's genuine. It's sincere. It's honest. Faithful. So when you put all of these qualities together, this is a, this is a powerful list And this type of person, the person who is demonstrating wisdom from above, they are gentle, they are kind, they are peaceable, they are merciful, and they have a concern for other people. If we're honest with ourselves, this this is unusual. To find someone like this, who is both consistent and faithful and unwavering in his commitment to the Lord, and yet at the same time is open to reason and gentle and willing to listen and yield where he or she can, that's shocking (laughs) to find a person like that. Verse 18 is a wonderful summary of this sort of wisdom, the wisdom from above. Verse 18, and... A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Obviously, the imagery here is agricultural. James is using an illustration from agriculture. So there's a harvest of righteousness. And this harvest of good fruits or righteousness, which is something James has been talking about the whole book, good works, This harvest is received and it happens because the right seeds have been planted in the ground. And those seeds mature and they grow and a harvest of good works is the result. Well, what are those seeds? What seeds are cast into the ground by the person who has wisdom from above? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The seed is making peace. And I think this is at the core of heavenly wisdom. And this is certainly countercultural in almost every way. Making peace. This is a beautiful description. What, what are we talking about here? To act in heavenly wisdom is to anticipate the final shalom the final peace, the full and final time of harmony and peace that we will have with God and with one another and with all of creation when he sets everything right 
It's to anticipate that and hope in that and then to bring that as much as you can in your life into the present. It's to want that so badly and to be so shaped by that peace that you want that and you make that peace in your relationships now. He calls heavenly wisdom, or he says that heavenly wisdom is demonstrated by those who make peace. So this is a a beautiful picture of someone who sees something broken, run down, and who works and acts to make it right and to put it back together. You can picture a couple who buys a house where the yard is overgrown, it hasn't been taken care of, the fence is torn down around the back of the yard, the shutters are sort of hanging off of the house, the carpet has stains everywhere, the walls have horrific wallpaper on them, And this young couple buys this house and sees its brokenness, and then they make it right. In some ways, you could say they make peace. They bring a a fittingness to this house, a harmony to the house and the yard. And they work, and they put time and effort, and they see the end goal, and they cultivate this house in order to bring it in order. It's a process. And that's what's happening in the person who makes peace. And this is the biggest indicator of heavenly wisdom. This person sees broken relationships all around them. They see disharmony and disunity and disorder. And they work and they try to take what's there and make peace out of it. And they make something new out of it. Jesus talks about this type of person in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers peacemaker would be someone who every single day of his or her life has the goal of provoking God's peace in all of his or her relationships. Now, of course, we want to pursue heavenly wisdom by being those who make peace in all of our relationships. I mean, I hope your heart is drawn toward this as you're listening to me describe it and and reading what James says here in God's word. But don't forget the way James has described this wisdom. It is wisdom that comes down from above. The language he uses here is important. It comes down from above. He's evoking James 1.17. You can flip back in your Bible there. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good gift comes down from above to us. It comes from God. And so here's what we need to learn from this language. You and I cannot work up these seven qualities. We can't be peacemakers on our own without God's intervention. It's not something you and I can just sort of decide we're going to do today and be really good at. Wisdom from above is not something that we earn in our own goodness. It's not something we conjure up from our own resources. Wisdom from above is a gift of grace from God. It's something that comes down to us, us in our sinful brokenness from the Father of lights who gives and gives and gives. 
so to, to put on these qualities in verses 17 and 18, to demonstrate wisdom of above, from above, it's not just to work harder this week. It's not just to grit it out tomorrow morning when you get up. But to truly put on these qualities and grow in these and to become a peacemaker and to have wisdom from above, skill in living, we have to seek him. We have to pursue God. We must be born from above and we must have a relationship with him. And now, I would say that for us, one of the most practical things that you and I can do in light of this passage, in light of the dichotomy between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, one of the most practical things that you and I can do is we need to turn off the earthly wisdom. Shut it down. And open up God's word. And try to begin to understand his grace and to look up to him from above and see all that he has given us. I saw a statistic, a research statistic this past week or the week before that said that evangelicals go to Facebook in their daily lives at least twice as much per day as they do to the scriptures. And I think that's just a small indication. There's nothing wrong with Facebook, but that's an indication of where our hearts are and where we're looking for wisdom. We're trying to make sense of life, and so we go to social media, we go to the news, and we go to YouTube, and we're looking for articles and insight and help in making sense of this broken world we're living in. And at the same time, we're completely lacking God's wisdom. We may not even crack open our Bibles, and if we do, it's... Minimal at best. And God, the one who gives and gives in his grace, is offering us wisdom to make sense of the world, to have skill in living through his word. And all we need to do is go to him, pursue him. And so that would be my challenge to me as well as to you this week. Pursue God's wisdom with me together through the scriptures every single day. That's our starting point. Let's pray.